You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Okay, so um, Ted is with Jesus, and um, we're thankful for that. So if you continue to pray for uh, Sandy and pray for the family, uh, we are going to be having a memorial service here for Ted on July 12th, and so... Uh, you can come and be part of that. Ted and Sandy have been a big part of our lives in this community, and we're so, so thankful. God is good. So would you do this with me? Would you just bow your head in prayer? We're going to ask God just to touch our lives. Father, we want to thank you today for the enormous grace that we experience when we come into your presence. And so, Lord, today we open our hearts, we open our minds, and we believe that you're going to touch us. We believe that you're going to change us. We believe that you're going to show us the way that there's going to be truth that comes that will guide us, that will direct us. So most of all, thank you for the relationship that we have with you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. Well, I think you remember we're in a series titled The Gospel Story. It's Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. This has been really and truly like a treasure hunt. Looking for Jesus in the Old Testament has been a lot of fun for me. And what I want you to do this morning is you can open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to have the Bible on the overhead. Also, we have Bibles around this building. You can grab one there as well. If you remember, last week, Pastor Robert told us about King Solomon and his demise. And the reason for his demise was he did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. See, what he did is he brought in women, wives from other pagan nations that surrounded Israel, and what they brought with them were their pagan gods. And after a while, what happens is there's this deterioration. And what, what, what Solomon was doing for the time was probably appropriate. What he was doing is he thought he would politically strengthen Israel, but he ended up spiritually weakening Israel in a place that they would not really recover there was going to be a very difficult road ahead of him. Within one generation, Israel's divided into two nations. And that's remarkable. It happens so fast. And you have Israel to the north. You have Judah to the south. You've got these broken nations. And there's something that plagues Israel for thousands of years. This plagues them for years and years to come. And when I was reading this, I just realized how much... Uh, our disobedience affects those people that are around us. Our disobedience affects the family members that we're connected to, our friends, those that we love. If you remember in the time of Jesus, the people that were despised were the Samaritans. The Samaritans were actually people from the northern tribes because they had saturated their lives with other gods and other worship of other gods. Uh, they didn't know the true God. And so you know and you get some insight when Jesus talks to the Samaritan, the woman at the well. You get an idea, a little bit of an idea of how they were, they were despised for what they had done over the last thousand years. And so here you come into this place and the kings of these nations would come and go. Some were good. Most of them were evil kings. If you follow their history. And we're going to look at one king in particular. It's an Israelite king named Ahab who along with his wife Jezebel adopted Baal worship uh, into, into the northern tribes. And so it's the worship of Baal, which is a god of fertility. It's a god that they followed that um, would, uh, would have other sub-gods to them, the Ashrod. If you remember the Ashrod poles that you talk about and you hear about in the Old Testament, this is all part of Baal worship. 
It's insidious. It, it, in its heart, it's satanic. And what happens is this place gets influenced. The, the northern tribes are influenced by this kind of worship. Brought in by Jezebel, who was a Sidonian. She was from uh, what is now Lebanon. And she came and married Ahab. And they have this whole thing that goes on where they're wanting to not only worship the gods of Baal, but they're wanting to extinguish the prophets of God. They're wanting to go after anyone who comes and speaks of the God of the fathers of Israel. So it was Elijah, and it was Elijah calling God's people back to faith, to the faith of their fathers. That's what Elijah does. And so you have this incredible confrontation, and that takes place in 1 Kings chapter 18. In fact, it's one of my favorite books, my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's 1 Kings 18. Um, I, I look at this story, and to me, this is like second to the resurrection. I mean, this is where it ranks for me. Because what happens is you have the challenge. Elijah gives the people of Israel this challenge, and he says, who will you choose to serve? Today, choose who you will. He says, you've been hopping back and forth between the gods of Baal, between our, God, the father, our, our God's father and our father's gods. And he's saying, you got to make a choice here. You either serve Jehovah or you serve the gods of Baal. And then you have the test. And the test was, it was simple, it was straightforward. Hey, bring this altar, let's put it up there, and whoever lights this fire is the true God. That's what happens. And, and, and so the gods of Baal, it says they danced around all day long. They were being provoked. They were actually being teased and taunted by Elijah. There's one place in this scripture that Elijah says, what, what happened? It, did your God take a break? And really what he's saying, honestly, it, it's, a, it's a euphemism. Has your God gone to the bathroom? Is that where your God is? Because he's not showing up here. I don't see him. I could just imagine this, this Elijah. He's probably a pretty cocky guy, I'm, I'm guessing. And he, so he's taunting. And then finally, it, it's his turn. And he says, pour water on this. Let's pour water on this. We're going to make sure that when fire comes and lights this altar, everyone's going to know it's Jehovah. Everyone's going to know it's Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so that's exactly what takes place. It's the aftermath of that that gets Elijah in trouble. Because what happens is he takes all the, the prophets of Baal, he takes them down into the Kidron, and he kills them. Or down into the, the, the creek right there by the Mount Carmel. He takes them down into that place and he slaughters all of them. This Jezebel hears, and she is incensed. She hears about her prophets being killed. And then you go to chapter 19, and listen to what it says. I'm going to read you the story of what happens to Elijah after this great encounter with the gods of, ba of the prophets of Baal and Elisha. It says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a, a broom bush. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then <clears throat> he lay down under a, a bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around, and there by his head, he saw some bread baked over a hot coal and a jar of water. He ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, and he touched him again, and he said, Get up, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the God, the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out, go out, and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and it shatters the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way that you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, uh, from Abel, Malo, Ma Manaloa, uh, to succeed you as prophet. And Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu, yet reserve seven, I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is an incredible story and one of these stories that you don't want to break up too much. You want to hear the narrative of what God does here from the beginning to the end. What we do understand is this man is afraid. Elisha gets this word given to him by Jezebel, knowing that she's going to follow through, and he takes off running. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this where you've had this great moment in life and then all of a sudden you feel like you've just been left emotionally destitute. This is something that Elisha is experiencing right here. That what he's going through right now, you could, you could say it's clinical depression. You can say that he wants to die. Anytime that, th those words come across your lips, this is serious stuff. And this is where Elisha finds himself. So what does Jezebel do? She puts a hit out on Elijah, and Elijah takes off running. He desperately needs to hear from God. And you can't help but when you read this, but notice what Elijah does, that he, he needs to hear from God, but he's the one always talking. You know, he, he needs to hear God's voice, but, but Elijah's the one always giving explanation. And if you listen to the explanation, it's almost like it's a rote. It's, he repeats it. He repeats it. We see it repeated here twice, probably repeated more than that. He keeps telling God the same thing over and over again. What does he do? He repeats his version of things. 
and I think about my version of things and my narrative of things, you know, it's always cleaned up. It's not as bad as it really is. I always want to take out the bad parts, you know, leave in the good parts. What is Elisha doing here? He's doing the same thing. So God says, what are you doing? He says, man, I'm, I'm just being faithful to you, God. You know, I'm just doing all I can for you. I'm working hard. Uh, I, I don't really deserve this, but this is what's happening to me, and I'm the only one. I'm the only one who stands for the name of the Lord. I think about the times that I've said to God, God, listen, look at what I've done, or look what, what's being done around us. Look at what God is doing and what he's doing through your life. And, and, and when you say those things to the Lord, you say, Lord, listen, why is this happening? What's going on here? Our narratives always seem to always put us in a good light. God, look at what I've done for you. This response from Elijah sounds a lot like I think of many of us. Does God work for me or do I work for God? Because there's sometimes I get the roles reversed. Sometimes I think and I can think, God, you, you know, you work for me. When really the truth is we work for God. That our call, our substance, our life, everything that we have, everything we do is wrapped up in him. That he's the one that we serve. He's the one that we follow. What I do love here is I love God's response. It's almost like God is saying, yeah, yeah, I know, but this isn't really getting us anywhere. Elijah, you keep saying the same thing over and over again, and we're not making any progress. There's no progress here. And so what does God do? He takes him to a place that's going to make a difference. See, God's answer to those who are desperate and afraid is go stand in my presence. I love that. I read that this week, and there was just this sense of refreshment, that we go through life, and life is hard, and it's difficult, and we feel oftentimes we're being chased by whatever enemies chase us, and the Lord says, this is what I need you to do, go stand in my presence, go stand and just be in my presence, just be in a place where you can be recharged, where you can be filled, words are good, I think words are really good. But sometimes we just need to be in God's presence, a place that goes beyond words, a place that transcends something that we, we feel deeply, and we don't even know how to put words to it. We don't know how to explain it. We just know we've been in the presence of God. And when we've been in the majesty of God, we know our lives have been changed. And this is where God's wanting to lead Elisha. He's saying to him, go spend time in my presence, son. Go spend time in my presence. I think that's what God is saying to a lot of us today, the same thing. You're weary, you're tired, you're afraid, life's drawn out, beating you up, and the Lord just says, go spend time in my presence. Would you just spend time with me? I love what Psalm 1611 says. It says, in the presence, in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures evermore. That when we spend time in the presence of God, our life is changed. Now listen to all of us who are running, uh, who are weary, who are afraid. There is a place that you can go. God will always provide that place. And that place is to come and be in the presence of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever had this experience growing up. I remember having this experience going to school on the way home from school. Just walk about four or five blocks. Seem to always be bullies looking for you. You know, bullies are after you. The older kids are wanting to taunt the younger kids and and I just remember being in that place, being afraid, and running as fast as I could. If I could get to my father's house, if I could just get within the boundaries 
of, of, of the property that my dad owned with my dad being there. No words spoken. Just get there. I was safe. And I remember just beating feet, getting there as fast as I could and stepping across that property line and looking back at my bullies and going, you know, you can't get me. I, I'm on my father's property. I'm in my father's presence. And here there's safety. Here I find fullness of joy. Here is the place I can be myself. Here's the place I can find my identity in Jesus Christ. It's in the presence of our father. And Elijah really is looking for that identity. He's looking. Everything needs to be rewritten for him. You find out later in this passage of scripture that it was rewritten. God says, I got to rewrite the script. You, you, you've come to this place now. Things need to change. So I read this and I recognize <clears throat> that in the presence of the Lord is safety for us. And I look at this. I think there are a few things that explain why Elijah was on the run. Some things that would give us reason to be on the run. Number one is the first thing, Elijah lost his courage. You see that in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I mean, there's no cloaking that. There's no hiding that. It's just really simple. He, he was afraid. And what do you do when you're afraid? You run for your life. Um, he's trying to figure out, he's trying to calculate what is going to be best for him. And usually the way we do that is, is not going to ever be uh, something that brings life because he says, I'm going to go, I, this is the best thing that can happen. Let me go and die. God, this is my solution to the problem. These are my calculations. This is what I've come up with. If you just let me go through with this, everything's going to be just fine. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that God looks further down the road than we look down the road. He's looking at our lives and he's saying to us, you have value. You have a call on your life, and I want you to see that call. I want you to see the purposes that I've given you. And that's what God was doing here with Elisha, as Elisha was trying to calculate all of this, figure out all of this. I, I think this, I, I wonder how many of us have done the math lately on our 401ks, you know. Um, I'm guessing that there's been a lot of calculators taken out and dusted off and used lately. I was thinking about that the other day, and I realized that courage is about trusting God's word more than trusting my calculations. That right now, what is more precious than anything else for us is the word of the Lord. My calculator doesn't really make a difference. The way that I calculate life and the way that I calculate the things around me doesn't really add up. But when I come to a place of trusting in the Lord, and that is being tested today in our life. We come to this place where we, where we trust in him more than we trust in what we've added up, the things that we've calculated. So he lost courage. And the second reason Elijah ran was he lost hope. This is a tough one. It says, while he himself went out a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to the broom tree. He sat down. He prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Take my life. Proverbs Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope plays a big part in the way that we view life. Hope is a big part in the way that you see your life and your circumstances. That we can look through our lives with a lens of despair or we can look at our life with a lens of hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I like that metaphor, a tree of life. I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought about that or have had this experience before, but the moment I read the tree of life, I went, huh, 
I, I wonder what, what, what God is saying there. What, what's he communicating to me through that, that, uh, that metaphor, a tree of life? I, I, and I immediately thought back. Where I grew up was an agrarian community. We were surrounded by tons of orange groves that you could walk just a half a block out of your front door, go up in an orange grove when it was still fairly legal, and you could grab a fresh orange off a tree, and you just messed yourself up with that orange. I remember my feeling doing this, and it was like, it was like there was a burst of, of life. There was a, nothing better than a fresh-picked orange off a tree that's ripe from the tree to your mouth, and then there's this energy this, that you don't get it any other place, any other way. This is the tree of life, that when we go there and we can eat that, there's this burst of energy, unexplainable, but we've just eaten something really good. And it blesses us, it nourishes us. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not put us to shame or make us look foolish. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The more I choose to love, the more hope fills my heart. That's what he's saying here. The choices that we need to make today, whether we choose to hate or we choose to love. When love becomes the first voice I listen to, I see hope wherever I look. But when I choose to be bitter, when I choose to be hurt, when I choose to, all those other things, that's not the first thing that I experience, hope is not what I experience. But when I choose love, when I say, Lord, I'm choosing to let that be the first voice I listen to, this is what is going to bring hope to my life. The more I choose love, the more hope fills my heart. And then we see something else that happens here. You see Elijah losing not only courage and hope, but he loses his strength. And we're talking about body, soul, spirit, real strength, where this guy is just totally, totally depleted. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but the thing that I pick up here that I love to see is God's not only concerned with your soul and your spirit, he's concerned with you physically, too. I mean, look what he does. He provides something for Elijah. He provides something for him to eat. And he says, I, I care about your body. I care about your nourishment. I think there's times and there's certain traditions in church life that just says, hey, just burn out. Just burn out for Jesus. I remember hearing that growing up, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if I really like that, you know? And, and I wonder, sometimes in my theology, does God really care about the physical me? The answer is yes. God does care about the physical you, that he wants you to take care of yourself, that he wants you to be nourished. He cares about body, soul, and spirit. He cares about the whole you. So the Lord knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly what our weaknesses are. He knows the journey before us. He knows. He can look into your tomorrows. He knows what's ahead of you. And he can plan your todays according to what's coming to you tomorrow. He can say to you here, this is what you need to do now so that you'll be ready for tomorrow. He was doing that with Elijah. He was feeding him. He, he was encouraging him. Why? Because he knew the journey ahead was a big journey. It was a heavy journey. It was going to be a journey that would require everything that was in him. It is in our weakness, I love this, that we find strength. One of the things I found out in the times that I've been just utterly weak, it's only in weakness can we see the contrast between our strength and God's strength. 
Because when you see my strength compared to God's strength, there's no comparison. God is so much bigger, so much stronger, so much better. But he takes us to those places where we realize that. Because I think there are times in life we think that our strength is good enough. We think that it's our strength that will get us through. I think what God is showing Elijah here is he's saying, no, it's not going to be your strength. It's going to be my strength that gets you through, that makes this journey worthwhile for you. When we lose our courage, our hope, our strength, I think it can lead us and leave us with a profound sense of isolation and loneliness. That's what it does for Elijah. He, he's totally isolated, and you can hear that in that one phrase, I'm the only one, I'm the only one, I'm the only one. He has a sense of isolation. He's dealing with a sense of being the only one. I don't know how many times that's happened in my life or that's happened in your life. I do know this, that's exactly where the devil wants to get you, <laughs> is that you're in a place where you feel like you're all by yourself. You feel like you're all alone. When we're isolated and not in community, it's our lone voice that becomes the expert, and that's not good. When your voice is the expert in your life, that's never, ever good. It needs to be God's voice that's the expert. And the way that God chooses to speak to me can be through his word. It can be through my brothers, my sisters. It can be people around me. It's in community that I hear the wisdom of God. It's in his word and, and lived out in your life so that I look and I say, there is the wisdom of God. There is what I need to take hold of. That's what I need to follow hard after. And then in that, life becomes full. Life becomes something worth living. Listen, if I'm the expert, life becomes all about me and, and all about what I've done. And that certainly is what happens here. Elijah becomes self-centered. He's talking about himself all the time. Elijah's falling apart, so he runs, and he runs from Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, you know what it represents? In the Bible, I was looking this up just recently. It means God's vineyard. It simply means God's vineyard. It's a place that represents beauty and belief. And there is where all of this gets crushed in his life. This is where the beauty goes away. This is where the faith goes away. <laughs> This is where the vineyard of God dries up on him. And so what does he do? He starts running. It's interesting where he's headed to. Because he does have purpose here. He's headed somewhere. He runs to Mount Horeb, which is believed to be Mount Sinai. And if you know anything in the Old Testament, you recognize that's the Mount of Revelation. So what's, what's Elijah doing? He's saying, i got to get out of here because it's not what I thought it was. This is bringing death to me, not life, and I need to go hear from God. I need to get a revelation from God. Do you know those two places are 300 miles apart from each other? So he had a 300-mile journey. That's a long journey in today's miles. This, you think back then, this man's just on foot, maybe a donkey here or there, but pretty much just foot. And he's going down because he's so desperate to get a revelation. Have you been there before? Saying, God, I just need a revelation from you. I just need you to show me. Show me what you're going to show me. And typically, this is what's so amazing about God. When he does show us, it's not something you expected. It's something different. It's something better than you expected. And so Elijah, he's taken off to the Mount of Revelation. That's where he wants to go. Listen to what it says in verses 9 through 13. I want you to hear what's happening here. 
Then he went into the cave and he spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. I want you to remember that phrase. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Yakety, yakety, yak. It's the same thing you're hearing. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord says, go out and stand in my presence. But notice what happens. Notice the change that takes place and the series of events that happens. And it comes to this place where it says that he heard the gentle whisper. What does he do in response to that gentle whisper? It says that he throws his cloak over his head because it's hit his heart. What he's hearing God say, we don't know what God said to him. But it's in gentleness. It's in loving kindness that God speaks to Elijah, a man who's used to the fire and the wind and the earthquakes. And God says, that's the way you were living, but I want you to live this way now. I want you to hear the whisper. He throws the cloak. And when you throw a cloak, that just actually meant that you were in humility. You were, you were, you were taking in what was being said. You were humbling yourself to the word of God. And I find this so interesting because in verse 9, when you read it, it says the word of the Lord came to him. Do you know that first time it comes, it says Elisha is hearing the word of the Lord, but in a very general sense, a very non-personal sense. That's how this is translated. So when he's hearing in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to him, he's hearing it kind of like he's in church. And he's just a member in church and he's just hearing the general word of the Lord and he's going, yeah, 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 I've heard that before. I've heard that before. It's nothing new, nothing different. You've heard that. You've done that. I've done that. He said, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. I've heard that one before. But something happens. Something happens in this little journey that he takes. That You get down to verses 9 through 13, and everything changes. Something happens to Elijah, and there's a change that takes place in his heart, and it's a change that, that we need. It's a change that I need. Elijah went from hearing the general word of God to hearing the very personal, specific word to him. You call that in the Bible the, the rhema word of God. The word that you needed, the word that you longed for, the word that is, you know is for you and for that moment it's personal to you. And you've heard it, you've said, that is a word for me. That's a word that's going to sustain my life. That's a word that's going to bring hope. That's a word that's going to change me. Elijah heard the gentle, specific, intimate voice of the Lord. In verse 9, that's not what he's hearing. By verse 13, that's exactly what he's hearing. It just shows me how tenacious God is to bring you that same word. That if you're just hearing the word of God now and it's like blah, 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 this might be a time where you say, Lord, I don't want the blah, blah, blah anymore. I want you to gently speak to me and tell me what you have for me. Give me your word that is going to change my heart. It is going to change the way that I hear you. It is going to change the way that I live this life. It's going to be through that gentle whisper. That's how God's going to change our lives. That's what he does here for Elijah. In Elijah's brokenness, what does God do? He recalibrates Elijah's spiritual hearing. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? He recalibrates the way that he's hearing. Before his brokenness, God's voice is generic and impersonal to him. 
he's just taking orders from God. He's just saying, give me, give me whatever. What is the next thing I need to do? All right, I'll go up on Mount Carmel. We'll start this battle with the prophets of Baal. Okay, now what else do you want me to do? Give me the next order. So that relationship between he and God became like a, a work order. It was like, here, here, take this work order and go. That's more, more. God wants more than that. God doesn't want you just to be on mission for him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And he says, Elisha, I want you to hear my voice. After God's voice is intimate and personal, when was the last time you heard that whisper? When was the last time that you heard God speak to you? Not the crowd, not to the crowd, but to you that made a difference. What's so intriguing to me, it's the same God. It's the same God before, it's the same God after. What changed? Elijah changed. Elijah is the one that changes. You see, we're always going to be the one that needs to bend toward God's will. It's not the other way around. So Elijah changes. He bends toward God. The way that he heard God is different now. Have you ever had that experience? You're hearing a word, you're hearing a message, you're reading scripture, and you've read it maybe 10, 15, 100 times before, and you come across it at one particular time, and you go, oh my goodness, I've never heard it that way. I've never heard it just like that. That is the gentle whisper of God's spirit. Where you're saying, man, that's just for me. I'm hearing this just for me. This is the personal nature that God wants to interact with you. This is how God wants to change you. God hasn't changed, but you have. That's the whole point of this. So how did God restore Elijah? That's always a good thing to look at. How does God restore someone who's broken? How does God restore someone who's on this long journey and wants the revelation of God? He's headed to the Mount of Revelation. How does he do it? How was he restored? Well, number one, he comes to a place where he remembered God's faithfulness. He comes to this place where he remembers how faithful God is to him and to Israel. When you think about it, at first, you notice Elijah was telling God about his faithfulness. See, he was saying to God, God, this is how faithful I've been. Here's my resume. Listen, that matters, but a drop in the bucket. It's important. It's good. It's wonderful. Thank God we've got a resume. But it's not your resume that is a world changer. It's God's resume of continual faithfulness to us. Where he says, here, here's how faithful I've been to you. Here's how I've walked with you, even when you didn't know it. This is my faithfulness. And that's what he does. He brings Elijah to a place where he has to remember God's faithfulness. See, Elijah was saying, well, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? You know, I mean, listen, if I don't speak, who's, who, who's going to speak? And I think there's an element of truth. We want to stand up. We want to speak. But when God speaks, it makes a huge difference. When God speaks through us, it makes a big difference in our lives and the lives of those around us. And then he goes another place. He's not only remembering God's faithfulness, but he remembers God's call. Notice that unique phrase, go back the way that you came. Do you remember the times you just didn't get it right with God? And God says, okay, lesson not learned. Going back the way you came. 
You're going to go back the way, what? I've seen this before. This is the same scenery, God. Yep. The reason it is, is you're not getting it. So I'm going to send you back around again. Go back the way you came. Why? Because you missed some lessons. You got some deficiencies. You didn't learn some of the things you needed to learn. I don't know how many times I've seen some of the same mountains, some of the same spiritual scenery. I'm going, man, I've been here before, and I don't want to be here again. The Lord says, i got to send you back the way you came. Can I tell you what that is? That's God's uncomfortable grace in your life. He's not going to let you pass go until you come to that place and say, oh, now I get it. I was the problem. I get it. I was the one that needed to humble myself. I was the one that needed to come to a place of loving kindness. Oh, God wanted Elijah to remember where he came from. Listen, you have a God story. You have a God. Every one of you that knows Jesus has a God story. This encourages me to tell you to tell it. Don't hold it back. And don't leave out the bad parts. Don't sterilize the God story in your life. That's what makes you human. That's what makes you who you are. I remember a story was told me by a contractor who said that um, he had ordered a bunch of flooring, wood flooring for a new, new, new project. And he was putting this, took the flooring out. It was one of his first times he got this kind of flooring from this particular uh, company, this outlet. And he, he started pulling it out and he saw all these flaws. And he thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's a whole bunch of flaws in this flooring. And the guy who was the professional, the professional at all this said, no, 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 no. When you pull it out of the box, it looks like it's defected. But when you put it all together, it makes a beautiful flaw. Listen, there are times you look at the defects in your life and that's the only thing you see and you see, man, that is so ugly. That is so broken. That is so shameful. And God says, yeah, but that's part of your story. See, God says, Let, watch me put this thing together. And see, when he's done, when he's done with the floor, you have a masterpiece. That's why Paul said, you are the masterpiece of God. You are who 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 God wants to put up before the ages and say, here, look at these people. This is my faithfulness. This is what it looks like. And it's a beautiful thing. Listen, God wants you to tell your story. And then here's the last thing to remember. Remember that you're not alone. And if I was going to finish in any particular way, this would be the way I would finish. Because I think that one of the things that we've gone through in the last few years is an attempt to isolate in a lot of different ways to make us feel like we're in this journey alone. And God says, don't, you don't need to feel alone. You don't need to be alone. You don't need to be isolated. See what God does here. <laughs> he says, go back the way you came. Now, you know what? You're pretty burned out. So the answer is, Elijah, I'm going to give you an answer. Here's the answer for your, for your loneness. First of all, it's Hazel, it's a buddy of yours. Go ahead, take him, anoint him. See what God does? He puts a team together. That's what happens. When you get to this place of total brokenness and you look up and all of a sudden you see a team in your life, you're going, oh my goodness, I didn't know I had this team. You do have this team. And some of those team members are people you don't even expect. Some of those team members I know in my team don't even know Jesus yet. 
But they're on my team, and I'm on their team, and I'm glad I'm on their team. I want to be on their team. And I'm going, wow, these are people that I need to hang out with. These are people that I need to spend time with. These are people that I know the best is going to come in this team. So what does God do? He says, Elisha, man, you are so lonely, and you're so broken and pathetic. I need to give you a team. So he brings in Hazel. He says he, he brings in Jehu. He brings in his, um, his, his successor, and Elisha. And I love this. And he says, I'm going to put these guys around you. And then you notice, notice, oh, by the way, that's what God says. Oh, by the way, here's something you've got to remember. This is what you need to know. I've reserved 7,000 in Israel. You are not the only one. I've reserved 7,000, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, whose mouths have not kissed him. Listen, there are people around you you don't even know yet that God is bringing your way, and they're all part of the team. And you're thinking, man, I feel lonely, but God said, no, I've got a bunch of folks. I've got a whole army. And you can, you can be in this army. You can be part of this. See, God's response to our loneliness is always going to be people. Always. He's going to always say, oh, you're lonely? Here's community. You're lonely? Here's some folks I'm going to send your way. I'm going to bring people in your life. They're going to mess with you. They're going to, but you won't feel lonely. You're not going to feel isolated because you got a job to do. They got a job to do. And you guys are going to do this together. Community, re-engaged in community. That's exactly what God does to Elisha. He says, I got to re-engage you, man. You're, you're getting on my nerves. I need to bring people around you so you get this together. Listen, we're all on a journey. You're on a journey. I'm on a journey. And we need each other. We need community in this journey. We cannot do this alone. Would you bow your head? I just want to invite anyone who hasn't come to faith in Jesus today, I want to invite you to come to faith in Jesus. I don't know any other way to, to say that or put that, that you feel isolated, you feel alone, and your healing is going to begin when you come to the faith in Jesus Christ, and you're, you're part of his company, part of his body, part of his family. There are things that will slowly go away. That loneliness will go away when you're in this kind of community that God has for you. If you're online or you're here on campus, the Bible says just call on the name of the Lord, just like Elijah did. Call on the name of the Lord, and he'll be with you. It's a gentle whisper of God. God's not going to yell at you. He's not going to scream at you. He's not going to do any of those things. It's going to be that gentle whisper of God's spirit in your life that invites you into a place of salvation. And when you accept that gentle voice, when you get to and hear it and you cover your head with that cloak and say, that's the voice, that's what I, I needed to hear, that's what I've longed to hear. It's the voice that speaks to me personally. It's the voice that knows my name, knows who I am and where I came from and where I'm going. The Bible says, call in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So, Father, today we all call on your name. We call on the name of the Lord and that you lead us through this journey 
And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for First Kings 19, where you're talking to us about a man who's lived real life in a broken way, and you restore. All of us, Lord, have lived broken lives before. All of us have experienced that, and some of us are even experiencing it now. But you're, you're the solution. You're the answer. Thank you for your wholeness. Thank you for the, being that tree of life. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.